And welcome to episode 70 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the Night Sky for December 2020. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love to do astronomy and we love to share it with all of you folks out there listening. So thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, we also just like to talk to each other about astronomy. So there you go. Win-win. Good stuff. Well, Shane, I'm really excited about this podcast. The objects to observe in any given month have been uh, some of our most popular episodes. They have, yeah. And um, I'm quite excited for this one for one particular event that is happening towards the end of the month, you know, third week. Um, I I know it's in the notes. We'll we'll get to it. All right. I guess maybe teaser alert. Yeah. And one of the things that we, we do kind of talk about is, um, so what this, what, what we do, and I think, you know, we have lots of listeners now, and I think people are realizing this is we focus um, not only like on an astronomical event and, and what you can see, but kind of how to best see it. And uh, we don't really talk about events that you cannot see. And there, there's quite a few events that you'll hear, you know, we we're just talking about one before we came live. Uh, recently on the radio, which is uh, an unobservable event. Um, and we find that oftentimes more and more, these, these are being talked about um, sometimes even by professional astronomers uh, because they're not visual astronomers. And uh, anyway, so we, we are really focused on making sure that you get the information on what to actually see in the nighttime sky. And we're just amateur people who look at the sky uh, just like you, we're, we're not professional astronomers. So, so I do say that, but that's the take that we're, we're giving you. All right. So Shane, we have a few things happening. The one thing that I'm uh, a little bit excited about this month is that we have the moon and it is going to be uh, giving us a little bit of a role. So libration on the moon occurs um, because uh, it appears anyway, at least in the sky, to kind of roll back and forth. And it's for a few different reasons. But, but one is that, uh, you know, it, it takes slightly longer for it to go around um, the Earth and then uh, the, then the, the amount of time it takes to rotate on its axis. So uh, because of this, you end up seeing uh, a little bit more than, than half of the uh, lunar surface. And um, this varies from month to month, but in December there's going to be more of this libration uh, effect on the uh, 6th. Uh, we're going to see more of the Western limb. Uh, and on the 19th, we're going to see more of the Eastern limb. So I'm just, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to scroll down in the, in the notes here, but I've kind of marked a few features on the moon to take, take a look at. Um, and we'll get to those in a moment. Um, there's also a solar eclipse coming up. We have Venus still in the morning sky. Mars is moving away uh, from us, and it's and it's getting dimmer. It's actually going to lose uh, pretty much a full magnitude over the course of the month. And Jupiter uh, and Saturn they're gonna they're gonna bunch up really close to the nighttime sky. We're going to talk about those soon. And Uranus and Neptune uh, remain sort of faintish stars up in uh, Aries and Aquarius, uh, respectively. So anyway, getting down to this business of the uh, of the lunar libration. This is uh, going to be pretty neat. So what happens is um, you're able to kind of see sort of a little bit over the limb of the moon. And I've got these two images here. One is, is showing the Eastern side of the moon, or that's, if you're looking straight at the moon, that's the right side. The Western side is 
the left side. And do you see the, I put a couple of new graphics on this. Do you see those? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'll, I'll tweet these out too so that people uh, that are listening have that visual reference as well. Yeah, sounds good. So, um, and I think, I think one is from Sky and Telescope and one is, I think, from Sky at Night. Um, so we have Landrigus, uh, Vendelinus, uh, Pedivus, and Fernerius. And these are on the... Um, these are on the eastern side of the moon, and they're sort of below, like um, the Sea of Tranquility area, uh, sort of on the southeastern side of the moon. And these will be uh, better placed for visual observing uh, during that that sort of around the end of the first week of of December, sort of right around uh, Sunday, next uh, week from today. Then uh, about 12 days later on, the, on around the 19th, the Western side will be more favorably placed and we're gonna be able to see uh, Grimaldi a little bit better. That's like a little, all right, it's like a little round uh, dark spot. And that actually just knowing that that's towards the West, um, just a little bit below the equator uh, on getting towards the lunar limb, um, you can actually probably find that. Uh, just with that description alone, it, it's pretty uh, unmistakable. And then right on the limb itself, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, this is pretty cool. So this is kind of neat to see, and you'll need a, a good set of binoculars or a little telescope to see this is Mare Oriental. And that's oh. a huge impact basin on the, uh, on the Western limb. And what happens is, is that, you know, because of the various uh, effects of the orbits of the earth and the moon, um, it does sort of appear to allow you almost to peer over the edge and it's really neat to go and take a look. So, um, you know, if, if people are out uh, over the next couple of nights, they can go and try to take a look and see if they can see mirror and how, um, but uh, it's right sort of uh, just south of, of the equator uh, and it's going to be right on the rim and it's very large. You can actually see sort of it as this huge impact basin. And kind of when you see that for the first time, you kind of say, whoa, how come I never saw this before? It seems pretty unmistakable, but you kind of got to get it just on um, on, on those uh, few nights right around uh, the 19th. And that, that will give you the best view of it. Have you ever seen Mary and Tell? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I will. I will give that a try. That sounds pretty cool. Um, and, and this libration effect is really neat. And if you go back to our, to our lunar observing episode, I forget what number that is. Uh, we talk a little bit about how that allows you to see some parts of the moon that just typically aren't visible because it does sort of roll and expose, um, some of these features that we just normally can't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, that you're right. And that best explains, I think the, the lunar episode was just, uh, was just in October, I think, towards the, it was either the, the end of October, beginning of November, but it's called uh, basically your guide to observing the moon, I think. Mm -hmm. So then on December 7th, uh, that's next Monday, uh, we're going to have uh, Vesta just right beside the moon now, and it's going to be an occultation. That means that the moon is going to appear to pass uh, in front of uh, Vesta and Vesta four is uh, the fourth, uh, you know, it's a minor planet in our solar system, very large um, planetesimal. I think it's around 525 kilometers across. I, I just did a little bit of reading up on it. Um, 
But Vesta is uh, is going to be very close to the moon in our skies. I think it's going to be a few degrees away. Uh, if you look it up in Planetarium software, um, could be a good night to find it because I think it's you know it, it's around you know sort of the uh, the sixth or seventh magnitude. So pick it up in pair of binoculars probably. Um, but then from let's see, it's it's in Europe, uh, Eastern Northern Europe. Um, Russia, so is all areas except the Northeast and some parts of China, Japan, Philippines, uh, and, and some other places, you're, you're going to be able to actually see the moon pass in front of Vesta and sort of from other parts of the world, other parts than um, the Western hemisphere, you're going to be able to, to see it at least really close to the moon. And I think that would be pretty cool. That would be something you'll need a, a telescope uh, and uh, or at least a, a pretty good sized pair of binoculars, like the 15 by 70s kind of thing, uh, to really be able to see this. Because as as fainter objects get close to the moon, it, it does become a little bit of a challenge uh, to see them. So that would be kind of neat. But I, I looked and I ran the, the planetarium software, not visible from North America, Western Hemisphere, unfortunately. It's too bad. I've not. I've never really spent much time observing um, asteroids, but um, you know, anybody that has an opportunity to see that should. That's uh, that's a neat event. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty neat to be able to uh, to identify them. So, you know, they they say that uh, Vesta. You know, it's now a, a minor planet. Uh, it's basically the largest object in the asteroid belt. I, I did just just look it up here now. Five hundred twenty-five kilometers across. So I think I did say say that and uh that's named after one of the uh, uh greek goddesses um and it was recently visited it was visited by uh by the dawn spacecraft there in in 2011 um so there's there's lots of amazing photos online if you go and, and look for vesta should be able to uh to find something there anyway it's pretty neat eh? yeah for sure then on the 12th we have a similar situation with Venus. Again, we can't see the occultation from here. Venus is going to be 0.8 degrees uh, away from the moon. And then by the time it's in our morning sky, uh, they're, they're several degrees away. You'd be able to get them in binoculars together. Um, but uh, the, uh, the moon uh, is going to appear to pass in front of Venus uh, from a few different spots, uh, easternmost Russia, uh, Hawaii, uh, wish I was there now, and uh, it says Western North America. I don't know though, because because you know we're supposedly in the West, so I don't know. Maybe like Vancouver Island or or mm -hmm. Tofino or or I don't know. Maybe like Alaska or somewhere. I don't know. You'd have to be you know much, and you know we're only I think a thousand kilometers away from Vancouver, or so uh, whatever it is, maybe a little further. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was nowhere near visible. Um, so it, it's going to be, uh, a morning, uh, very, very much at, at sunrise kind of event for them. And I don't know, I, I think probably your best bet would probably be like Hawaii. I think Hawaii would be a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Hawaii is always a good place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So this morning when we got up here in, we woke up here in Regina, it was, uh, minus 22, uh, with the wind chill and that's Celsius. And then um, the temperature has since dropped. So it's, it's now, I think, minus 28 with the wind chill. Um, it did clear, though, finally. We've had certainly a poor run of weather. So uh, hopefully we do get a better December than, than the latter half of November has been. 
So moving along, just going to talk about what's happening on the 14th. So Shane, I'm not sure if you've uh, uh, seen these images of, of the solar eclipse that's going to be occurring and the path it's going to be taking on the 14th. Yeah, I have. Um, not a lot of people will see this unless they're in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe going to Hawaii. Um, yeah. So the path of the solar eclipse on December 14th is going to be going over Chile. And that's, uh, of course, in, in the far, uh, you know, far south in, in South America. Um, so unfortunately, uh, we're not going to see anything of it here. Um, should be a pretty good one. Like, I would think that would be a dry place there, I think. I, I know there's a lot of deserts. I, I've never been in that area of the world. But uh, from, from what I've seen in, in photos and that, they do get some uh, harsh weather. I think it's actually, in a way, I think it's kind of similar to our weather here, but maybe like in the summer and uh, maybe they're going to be able to have lots of, lots of clear nights uh, down there. I really, I, I enjoy uh, looking at stuff online about, about that region of the world because it is so, so different from where we live. But, uh, but yeah, so what's going to happen on the 14th is the moon is going to pass in front of the sun and that track is going to go across both the uh, South Atlantic and South Pacific. Uh, and the greatest part of the eclipse is, is pretty much uh, right in kind of like the southern um, tenth or quarter of the, uh, of the South American continent. So looks kind of neat. That would be really cool to see. Yeah. Do you know how long totality is? I don't. I was I'm just, just uh... trying to look here and see. I don't think it's a, it's a crazy long one. I think it was like a, maybe a couple minutes or something like that. So now I don't yeah, see that's, it here really quick. Yeah, I was trying to find it. That's always the key thing um, with an eclipse is how long totality is. Um, because they do vary quite a bit. Like it can be mm -hmm. a couple minutes to like six or seven minutes, uh, maybe even uh, more than that. Um, Anyway, I'll try to look that up and maybe come back to that because um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's surprising, like, you know, two or three minutes of eclipse time probably sounds like, you know, that's a long time to observe one of those events. But mm -hmm. having done one in Wyoming and uh, I think totality was like just around like two and a half minutes or something like that, mm -hmm. that seems to go by like about as quickly as blinking your eyes. So. Okay. <laughs> so I'm having, I've oh, got go it here. It's uh, two minutes, nine seconds and seven tenths of a second so okay yeah. um it's not very long yeah so uh and i'm just i'm just looking at a sheet of paper here but um if people want more they can go to www.eclipsewise.com and i think that's a fred espinac uh website should uh should give people a little bit more uh information uh on the solar eclipse for december 14th which usually a lot of people travel for these solar eclipses, but I'm not really sure how much traveling uh, people are up for uh, on these particular days. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine not as much as uh, just a year ago. Um, but if you are in that region and you have the opportunity to observe it, um, a solar eclipse is one of the most majestic things I think you can see with your own eyes. Uh, it's an incredible event. Um, you know, getting on the path of totality is essential. And if you have solar eclipse glasses, those are very helpful because they will help 
you know, protect your eyes. Cause if you do look at the sun at any point during the eclipse, other than totality, you certainly risk uh, permanent damage. Yeah. I actually have all kinds of solar eclipse glasses still here. I bought a bunch um, for a partial eclipse a few years ago. Um, I was giving them out of my class. So I still have some spares. They're very colorful. <laughs> They're like <laughs> fluorescent. I bought the fluorescent ones. I got the green and the yellow, the orange. It's all, oh, all good stylish. stuff. Yeah. But for those of us who can't make it to the eclipse, there's another event that's going to be taking place yes. on the evenings of the 13th and 14th of December. Um, and this actually really takes place um, for a couple of weeks. Really, the best nights are the 4th of December until the 17th. But a peak night, sort of like the 13th, 14th, is when we get 50 meteors per hour as part of the Geminid meteor shower. And mm -hmm. the Geminids are, and I know you, you're a really big meteor uh, fan. In fact, you're a meteorite collector of sorts. Yeah, I've, I have some meteorites uh, in my possession. Um, yeah, they're kind of fun. I don't usually make a big point to go observe a meteor shower, but it is nice when they coincide with a new moon because, mm -hmm. you know, you go out to observe your regular stuff and you happen to catch a bunch of meteors that night too, which is fun. Yeah, so we are right just about at new moon that night as well. The new moon occurs within four hours of the peak of the Gemini meteor shower. So if it's if it's clear and not too cold here, I don't know. Maybe I'll go and try to take a look. I've certainly seen lots of meteor showers over the years, so uh, definitely have my fill. And uh, but but this one could be pretty good. Fifty an hour, like you said, we're right on new moon that night. Um, really you go out and there's, there's lots of geminids, um, anytime in the evening and early morning, you'll, you'll be able to see them, um, basically from 11 o'clock onward, uh, it's fine. Um, and they're bright and they can have lots of colors. I find I did go out to see them one year and I was, I was watching them and I, I found they were sort of like cobalt colored almost. Um, but I was much younger then. maybe my eyes were better. And uh, let's see, they don't go that fast. So often you see like beautiful uh, chains or ionization trails with them, which is really neat. And uh, you can also see these in the Southern hemisphere. So that's one of the other things. And the one thing that I was uh, interested to look up, because I, I was trying to remember this, I think I know why now is they're, they're actually um, associated with a comet. I'm gonna say this wrong, it's like Phaethon. It's like 3200 Phaethon. Um, sorry, and that is an asteroid. I'm going to say oh. it's not a comet. It's it's an asteroid. Well, that's and, unique because because most meteor showers are a result of comets. Um, this is interesting. Yeah, and so um, this is one of those objects. Um, this 3200 Phaethon, which um, I think that there was a bit uh, of time there. Anyway, it's a, an Apollo. Uh, type asteroid and uh, it could be a potentially hazardous uh, asteroid uh, to the earth. So, uh, you know, the, the asteroid is in the same uh, orbit as these meteorites. Um, but, uh, you know, they've been collecting um, observations for about 30 years on it and they, they haven't been able to find any kind of really close uh, encounters sort of for, for like a 400 year uh, time period. But, um, yeah, there, there's a few times where it does get in with within, uh, you know, several, um, you know, 
millions of kilometers, or I think like 2 million kilometers it gets within in a 30 year time period. So um, that is getting fairly close by astronomical standards. Mm-hmm. But sure. the Geminids are, are often considered by astronomers to be the best meteor shower of the year. Um, and they don't always align with the new moon. Sometimes the right. meteor showers will happen with the moon in the sky, which really washes out the meteors uh, or diminishes the, the spectacle. Um, so when the meteor showers align with the new moon, it's a mm-hmm. great opportunity to get out and see them. So, you know, if meteors are your thing or you've never seen a meteor shower, um, this is a real good one to put on your calendar if the skies are clear. Mm-hmm. And then right after the Geminids, we have the uh, Ursids, and they start on the 17th and run until the 26th, the, the Geminids running from the 4th until the 17th, and then these ones take over. So you kind of get meteors uh, all month, all night, uh, all December. <laughs> so it's kind of neat like that. It's just unfortunate. It's often so darn cold or, or snowy or whatever. And... Uh, they actually uh, peak right around Christmas. So mm. you only see about five to 10 uh, an hour. And, uh, you know, they've, they've recorded occasional outbursts of a couple dozen or so an hour. And, and they kind of uh, appear somewhat unrelated. But the uh, progenitor comet is uh, 8P Tuttle. I think I saw that once. I think that it's a periodic comet. Uh, you know, discovered a number of years ago. Anyway, uh, strictly a northern hemispheric uh, event because, of course, uh, they're going to be in the far uh, northern part of the sky. And I think they're pretty much just like going to be like regular looking meteors that you're going to want to look uh, right into sort of the Ursa major area of the sky, just uh, probably just off to the right, maybe a little bit. And then you're going to uh, be able to see these meteors streaming in uh, in, in and around the bowl of the Big Dipper kind of thing. So sort of an easy area in the sky for people to identify and then, then to see, uh, see these sort of more northerly uh, meteors coming in. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. And uh, I guess December could be called Meteor Month. with Meteor Month. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So what was the event that, uh, that you were really most looking forward to this month? You said the third week. I'm guessing it's the one I... I've got up here now. So there's this third week event that you're excited about. Why don't you tell us? Yes, it is a a very, uh, a very close conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and if you haven't heard about it yet, you probably will. I think this is one of those astronomy events that the media will probably pick up on because Mm -hmm. it is one of these extremely, I guess the event isn't rare, like conjunctions between Jupiter and Saturn happen all of the time, mm-hmm. but it's how close they will be. Um, I, I believe it's like like 400 years since it's been, since they've been this close or, you know, it'll be another 400 years before they're the same distance. Okay. It's, uh, it's quite an event. Um, now they do pass each other about every, you know, dozen or so years i think but uh yeah i wasn't aware that it was it was that rare that they get this close yeah next time that they so they will be uh 6.1 arc minutes apart so Hmm. like so close the next time that they are less than one degree uh is going to be in the year 2080 Hmm. um and that one it's not really optimal because that one will happen 25 minutes before the sun rises Oh, okay. Whereas because this one's at sunset, um, you know, you, you hopefully you get a little bit longer to observe it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other thing too about this one that's really neat is um, Io and Ganymede occult each other during this time too. Wow. Um, so yeah, really like it's, it is really neat. So, you know, occulting means, you know, one passes in front of the other. So you'll be able to witness like some solar system movement um, mm-hmm. of these uh, uh, Galilean moons around Jupiter and see, you know, Jupiter and um, Saturn that close. Mm-hmm. Um, something I'm going to try, Chris. So they're 6.1 arc minutes apart that night. Okay. Now there's sort of a famous naked eye double in Ursa Major, Miser and Elcor, mm-hmm. um, that you know with a with good eyes. In fact, I don't even know if you need really good vision, but as long as you're seeing 2020, um, you should be able to see both of these stars. Um, they're but they're 11.8 arc minutes apart. Mm-hmm. Jupiter and Saturn will be 6.1, so half that. I'm really curious to see if we can separate Jupiter and Saturn naked eye that night. That's one Mm -hmm. thing I'll be looking for. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. But because this event is so rare, this is one of the, um, one of the times where I'm going to be checking the weather forecast for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably have some driving locations in my mind of where I can go east, west, north, south, uh, to get to clear skies if I can, because this Mm -hmm. is one I just don't want to miss. Cool. Uh, you know, this is similar to like Venus um, uh, transiting the sun. Uh, you, you're not going to get another opportunity to, to see this uh, event or to see Jupiter and Saturn this close in your lifetime. Yes. Now, even I note that it's rare and I can be a bit cynical on rare events. Um, so, so that's how rare it is. Um, but the way that I kind of mapped it out, knowing, knowing how finicky the weather can be at this time of year, uh, where we live anyway with, um, you know, sometimes you can have like, you know, we're going to be two degrees. We were two degrees yesterday. We're minus 22 degrees or colder this morning. Um, sometimes we get snow. It's clear right now. This is the first clear sky we've had just about in a week. And then, uh, what we're going to see though, um, and this is what I'm really interested in for this event is from the period of December 16th to the 24th, and we should have some clear or clear enough evening skies during, uh, you know, that period of time, uh, which is uh, what, like eight days or something like that. Um, you're going to see a few things. So on the 16th, the moon is going to appear just below and to the right or just to the southwest of Saturn and Jupiter. And you'll still be able to see Saturn and Jupiter separated in the nighttime sky. If you have a pair of binoculars with about a six degree field of view or wider, many small binoculars have a field of view about that size. You'll be able to get Jupiter, Saturn and the moon all in one field. So that's gonna be kind of pretty. So over a couple nights, um, sort of from 16th and 17th, you're gonna see the moon skirt by uh, Jupiter and Saturn. And then, and, and what would be neat, Shane, is you were, you were talking about being able to um, see them split in the nighttime sky on this, this night of the 21st, I think, right? Like that's what you were. It'll be a naked eye test to see yeah. if you can split them because they are so close. So what, what you can try is this is what I would suggest. Like I said, we're visual observers. And so we're, we're kind of walking you through how to do some of this stuff. What I would suggest doing, this is what I'm going to try to do because this will allow most people to see this because this is going to be visible for um, more than a week. And that's that from the 16th to the 24th, you can watch um, basically Jupiter and Saturn 
kind of, it kind of, they're not really doing this, but they kind of look like they swap spots in the nighttime sky. And so if you start following it kind of night to night, you can kind of train your eye a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, that's a great uh, idea. Yeah. And then, then on the 21st, okay, sort of fingers crossed. I really hope it's clear um, for us, but if it doesn't happen to be clear that night, then you've, you've had that best opportunity to see, uh, to, to, to see them really close in the sky together. And the other thing is if you can't separate them on the night, it's just going to look like one thing anyway, and it's getting kind of low. They're getting kind of far away from us. So together, they're probably not even going to look much different than what, uh, what Jupiter looked at its, at its brightest this summer. So, so there's, there's kind of that aspect as well, but I certainly intend to see this. I, I think it's a, I think this is a rare event, but I, I think the event is, is that 16th to the 24th date. I think once that moon joins them in the nighttime sky, I think that's really going to look like something. So if we just focus on that 21st date, I think that's, that's sort of one aspect of this event, but I think this event lasts a lot longer and it's going to give people a lot more opportunities to go out and see. And I think you can say that um, from the 16th to the 24th, they're, they're definitely, um, you know, close enough uh, to, to say that you've, you've definitely seen them sort of paired together so tightly in the sky that uh, it's going to be a long time before you'll see them uh, that close again. I think that that's going to make it a little bit easier for, for people to see instead of trying to kind of hit that one night where, where maybe it's clear or, or you might have other plans to do the holidays, but probably this year people don't have as many plans anyway. Yeah. The, the uh, magazine BBC sky at night, um, they, the, there was a line in there that really resonated with me. And it's, uh, they said that this is the closest ever of the telescope age uh, for Jupiter and Saturn. There you so go. when you think about the telescope age, that's, you know, about 400 ish years is yeah. kind of what it's considered to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a first and we all get, or we all hopefully will have the opportunity to see it. And I like your suggestion of observing it over a week, because while the 21st is the closest, they're really close the entire time, you know, the yeah. 16th to the 24th. Yeah. And I, I think it's an, it's an event worth, um, worth watching during that period of time. And then, you know, if, if you don't happen to get lucky that, uh, one, night that they are the closest even on those other nights they're exceptionally close um and oftentimes when you do have the planets close in the sky they're not this close for this long so because i I think the chances of having a clear night um over this uh eight or nine day period is is probably like a a really good chance right i think Mm -hmm. we probably have like you know an 80 or 90 percent chance of having at least one uh really good evening um to, to see, uh, you know, the pairing or maybe even, even the moon going by and then like the 16th and 17th would be, uh, would be a pretty neat event to, to see as well. I think that's the real photographic opportunity is that, um, 16th, uh, evening. Cause you could get the moon low down. You could get something in the foreground with the moon and then see Jupiter and Saturn just above it. And they're all going to be pretty close. It's going to be pretty neat to see. Yeah. Yeah. And part of my observing plan, um, you know, each night that I try to observe this, I will probably be setting up about a half an hour before sunset, um, just to make sure that all my gear is ready and it's out and I'm not fumbling around with eyepieces or anything like that. Are you going to photograph it? I doubt it. I'm not much into planetary, uh, photography. Um, uh, probably just observe it with my eyes and, and, you know, treasure the memory for the rest of my life. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to get out and, uh, and take a look. 
and uh, you know really really enjoy it on on that period of period of time. Um, see what can be seen. It's getting kind of low. I'm not sure what uh, what would be possible to see through the telescope, but uh, who knows. So I'll probably try to put some sort of telescope on it. But like I said, uh, having that period of time from the 16th to the 24th gives lots of opportunity to, to see it with the eye and through binoculars and to see them kind of get close together and then break apart and sort of swap spots. And then on the 24th, sort of the, the last night that that, uh, that that event really is sort of at, at its height. And then, of course, after that, you're going to see them, but they're going to get lower and lower and lower and then disappear over the uh, Western horizon. Um, but on the 24th, the moon and Uranus are also going to be very close uh, in the nighttime sky. And I think that they're just about three degrees apart with Uranus just being three degrees north of the moon uh, on the evening of the 24th. That's Christmas Eve. So that's sort of... Uh, an exciting Christmas present, early Christmas present there too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A uh, great month for the planets again. Are you going to try to hunt it down? You haven't, I don't think you've seen Uranus in a little bit. You were saying in a. Uh, yeah, Uranus. Too. I haven't. Uh, Neptune. I captured that. I think uh, about a month ago. Okay. Um, I had the star field. Pretty sure it was in there. Yeah. I was using uh, my 76 millimeters. So it really, you know, looked like a star. Mm-hmm. With, I think a tinge of color to it, um, mm-hmm. but I haven't tried for Uranus. So I probably should this month. Yeah. I think that's a good opportunity and I think it should be visible in binoculars too. So mm-hmm. on the night of the 24th, if you take out your handheld binoculars and you point them at the moon, just above the moon, you're going to see a brightish approximately fifth, 5.7, sixth magnitude star, too faint to see with your eye. It's going to be way too faint to see next to the moon. Um, but I was able to see it in binoculars um, and a decent sized pair of binoculars or a small telescope for sure, you'll be able to see Uranus and the moon together in the nighttime sky. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah, for sure. All right. How are we looking for comets in this coming month? Well, there is one of note. Um, it is Comet M3 Atlas. And uh, actually, a, a, an observing friend out east. Um, sent me an email. Um, when was this here? This was just a, a couple of weeks ago on the 16th of November. Mm-hmm. Um, so he caught the comet. Uh, he said, snuggling up to Bellatrix two nights ago. He was using oh, okay. uh, 10 by 42s and 18 by 50s, or sorry, uh, 10 by 42s and 18 by 50s couldn't manage it. But I have a wonderful pair of, uh, they're very rare, actually, William Optic 22 by 60s. They're copies Ooh. of uh, TAC Fluorites. Yeah. And he said they managed the job. Um, yeah. So, you know, a small telescope is probably more, more appropriate for this or more mm-hmm. likely uh, to be possessed by people rather than some, mm-hmm. you know, bigger binoculars like that. But anyway, um, it kind of slices up through Orion, through Taurus, uh, and then... Auriga. Auriga, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's going to spend most of December uh, cutting through Auriga. And what's what's kind of neat is if... And, and I don't know what the bottom right star is in Auriga. I should have, have it up here. But um, it's going to pass by that star uh, just to the right or just to the west um, very early in the month as it comes out of Taurus. And then it heads almost straight towards Capella. So mm-hmm. it's going to basically slice almost right across... And it's gonna gonna go across that really rich area, which uh, some of us refer to as the leaping minnow in Auriga. It's sort of gonna 
pass right through that region, which is where that flaming star nebula is. I think it's uh, illuminated by AE Origae, which is, uh, I think, one, one of the escape stars from another region of the sky. Um, anyway, that, that's a very interesting region, and that will be uh, uh, one of the things that, that I hope to, uh, to take a look at uh, around uh, sort of like the 12th, 13th of, uh, of December as, as it's passing through uh, Orega. Yeah, it should be kind of interesting. Right on. Do you know what the magnitude estimates are for this comet? Eight. Yeah. So okay. that's telescopic. Okay. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. So you'd need a, a really big pair of, uh, of binoculars. I mean, be tripod or parallel parallelogram mounted binoculars. We'll do an episode on, on mounting binoculars sometime uh, soon. Um, but really, like you said, probably like a, like a four inch telescope is, is where you're going to really start to be able to see it. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even be able to see a nucleus in like a eight or 12 inch. Lots of people out there have uh, six uh, inch and larger reflectors. And that would be really the instrument of choice, I think for, for hunting this down. But of course, you know, whatever you have pointed at it, maybe it's an outburst that night and you'll, you'll pick it up even in binoculars or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's always exciting to try to capture a comet and, and get some observations of it. And, you know, while it's, we had a great comet over the summer, um, those aren't very common, uh, but comets of say magnitude eight, those do happen somewhat frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are very observable through a telescope and they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Very good. Well, anything else that you're looking forward to, uh, taking a look at, I was going to say this summer, but. I think I'm just, I'm, I'm still thinking of Hawaii there. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> but um, in this it, early winter sky. Yeah, one of the things that, or one of the constellations that I look forward to um, in December is uh, Gemini. It's mm. very easy to find in the sky, uh, you know, the, and it's kind of an interesting constellation. You know, Gemini represents twins, Castor and Pollux. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's very interesting is those are two named stars that look basically identical to each other. They're two twin stars that represent the heads of the twins in the mytho- uh, mythology, which is kind of a, you know, a neat, uh, neat construction or neat representation of the mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it's very easy to find, uh, because of the, those two stars, Castor and Pollux, they're very bright, they're close, um, and they're prominent. Um, within the constellation of Gemini, there's a few open clusters that I like to have a look at uh, every year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Colander 89. So this is um, this would be down by Castor's like west foot. So like kind of in and around that region is is where I'm going to hone in on. So is um, that near the arm of Orion, sort of where yes. M35 is? Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah, so there's Colander 89, uh, there's NGC 2129, um, and then like you mentioned, there's M35, which is Mm -hmm. uh, a really nice, bright, open cluster. And if you're under a dark sky, uh, M35 is visible to the naked eye if it's uh, it's a good night. And, you know, if you put a telescope or binoculars on that, uh, on M35, you'll see many stars, but that whole region is very rich and it's a fun area just to pan around uh, in. And uh, there's also a planetary nebula, 2392 up there. Um, 2158 a, is another yeah, open there's, cluster. There's a couple tough nebula there too, like the Jellyfish Nebula, which I may have seen once, mm-hmm. is in that area. But I'll give people a really quick way to find this region. Very simple. On the nights of December 2nd, as well as the night of 
December 29th, the moon is going to be 0.2, just a quarter of a degree away, just north of M35. So, uh, so that will point out now, of course, the moon, uh, you know, it's, it's still pretty full. So it's going to, you know, blank out most of the sky, but that will, that will give you that region of sky. So then on subsequent nights, when the moon is, is not in that area of sky, uh, you'll be able to, uh, to kind of locate uh, the region that we're talking about. Yeah, great tip. So like on December the 2nd, take a look at where the moon is in the sky and that star field, and then come back in two weeks when there's no moon in the sky. And then you can observe a lot of these clusters and try for some of the nebulas as well. Yeah, very good. Well, that's, uh, that's some great advice there, Shane. Uh, maybe we'll do up uh, a little finer chart or something and tweet that out. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. All right, cool. Anything else you uh, wish to chat about for the December night sky edition? No, I think that covers everything, Chris. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Shane. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy, or you can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies. <laughs>